Hello and welcome to Amplify. On this week's episode... He wants more energy, he wants more wildness, more exuberant enthusiasm, he wants more speed, he wants more loudness, more softness, more extremes, he just wants more. And you know, that's Gerald in a nutshell. Violinist Darren Morgan on his work in new music and some of the Irish composers he's worked closely with over the years. And... I have a slight issue with the viewing of what community music is in terms of commissioning because the work that is written for communities is as good artistically as a piece written for a symphony orchestra, but it's not really viewed like that. Deirdre Gribben on collaboration, making projects happen and receiving a major individual arts award from the Arts Council of Northern Ireland. I'm joined by Yvonne Ferguson, CMC Director. Hi there. Hi there, Jonathan. Happy New Year to you. And the very same to you. We're in mid-January and we're, we're living in the future, as it were, in 2020, post-Blade Runner. So Yvonne, what are some of the things that CMC is involved in during the first half of 2020? Well, I'm excited about the recommencement of some of our annual projects, Jonathan, as I, as I am every year. I mean, we're now in the fifth year of Composer Lab and also the fourth year of Choral Sketches. So they're two of our big professional development programmes, one with the National Symphony Orchestra, one with Chamber Choir Ireland. And I'm always really interested to see the composers that are selected to participate in both of those projects the works that are written through those projects through the mentorship of David Fennessy with the Symphony Orchestra and Kevin Volans who's the new mentor composer on choral sketches this year so that's exciting for us as a team to see what composers will come up with in the course of that and then the, the public performances especially that audiences get to hear and see these new works and the process that takes place behind the writing of these new works. Of course, we're all excited about New Music Dublin, the flagship contemporary music festival for the island, and our role in that in hosting the international delegate program NMDX. There's 13 delegates lined up at the moment to come, Jonathan, so uh, from right across the world, festival directors, broadcasters. So I suppose from our perspective that they will get to see and hear and meet those active in New Music in Ireland, that's really exciting for us. Our first guest on our first podcast of 2020 appropriately is someone who has taken part in New Music Dublin on numerous occasions, both as a soloist and along with his trio, the Fidelio Trio. And that's Dara Morgan, who's such a wonderful musician, but also a true advocate of contemporary music from Ireland, Jonathan. I spoke to Dara last month in mid-December at his home in North London. And he spoke about commissioning and rehearsing new pieces, his work internationally and how there is more recognition now of Irish composers and their works outside Ireland. And he also touched on this idea of being connected to an ongoing tradition when it comes to performing new music. I also asked him to choose four Irish composers and their works that are important to him, which you'll hear about halfway through the interview. That's about roughly 12 minutes or so into the interview. But we began by talking about the recent Winter Chamber Music Festival in Belvedere House, Drumcondra in Dublin, which the Fidelio Trio had just performed at. So here is Dara Morgan.
I think seven years now we've been going with the festival and it has a great sense of homecoming and feeling of someone we know really well every time we play there. The people who run it with us in Glass Drum and it's in Pats um, are so supportive and always so interested as well in new music that we've always been able to programme what we want and we've been lucky to have lots of commissions supported by the Arts Council of Ireland that we've premiered there as well before taking them on tour and abroad. We've had quite a list in the last few years so John Buckley then we had a new piece by Gerald Barry called Midday and then we had a piece 93 million miles away wonderful trio by Anne Clear also Kevin Volans wrote a piano trio for us his Le Tombeau de Regret his third piano trio and then this year Brian Irvine so how did that go that trio with Brian Brian is a wild visceral virtuosic writing composer I first met Brian when I was 16 in Belfast he had a what was to become the initial Brian Irvine ensemble and I played a couple of tunes with this big band playing fiddle with them and met this very larger than life pretty sweaty looking guy that evening after after that gig and that was our first experience in meeting over the years we just got to know each other really well and he wrote a brilliant fiddle concerto for me with the RT Symphony Orchestra called Amonso Désir <laughs> been through a very tough year through um, family loss very difficult for anybody of course and he's coped remarkably and I know he wouldn't mind me stating the fact that there's the pieces are a lot about love little stories love stories little tears of love and it's really I think stories about him observing the love and the stories and about love between his own parents You've commissioned so many composers over the last 15 years, possibly longer. I mean, do you have a set way of working with composers or do you have to adapt to each composer or the particular commission? I'm always interested with working with composers during the creative process and if it's possible for them to send me music and us to have some form of dialogue whilst that's happening for them, brilliant. We work so long and hard rehearsing every piece. I learned this from one of my old teachers, Paul Zukowski, who worked a lot with Cage and Feldman and he used to say to me, Dara, there's no such thing as a bad piece, just bad performances. <laughs> Which some people might say isn't strictly true. However, us as performers, it's so important to us to try and convey the pieces as close to what the composer wants. And you know, that's the great thing of working with living composers.
we also approach our playing with 350 years of heritage. You know, we, we're not new music specialists. We're people who happen to play a huge amount of new music. I spent a long time playing Baroque repertoire, John Leviatt Gardner and the European Union Baroque Orchestra, and that's had an approach to the way I play Cage and Feldman. I grew up playing Irish traditional music, so when I started working with Hall and Noreen and Derek Bell many, many years ago, all of those experiences have fed into pieces like uh, Michael Finnessy's Mississippi Hornpipes that I've recorded or uh, pieces that Michael Finnessy's written with uh, Norwegian folk fiddle and how I've, I've been able to approach what I feel very naturally a performance style playing them. All of those, as much as playing Schubert trios with the Fidelio trio, has fed into our approach into playing new music. so lucky that we can play pieces by people writing now. You're sitting in our living room, my library here behind us, of violins, parts, uh, you know, lots and lots of new music here. There's so many markings, bizarre markings in Beethoven's fiddle sonatas, articulations, the difference between SFs, FFZs, accents, forte pianos, you know, there's many people surmising different opinions about all of these different articulations. And, you know, we're lucky right now because things can be recorded and not put a blueprint down that this is the only way of doing it, but this is certainly right now the preferred option. What's it like receiving a new commission for the first time? I mean, are you ever surprised or shocked or even, dare I say, bewildered? Uh, mostly shocked and uh, often bewildered. <laughs> but it's, it is uh, like receiving a present. It's an incredibly special thing. You know, things have moved so quickly in the last 20 years from when I was receiving pieces from people like Joe Cutler, one of the first pieces he wrote for me, you know, he's, I still played off the original manuscript that he sent me. To right now, when nearly 98% of the pieces we receive are all typeset already, even if it's just in Sibelius or Finale. I would love to see more pieces still in a more initial state from in the composer's pen, because from that I find I gather a lot more initial emotive information from them, a lot of them. I've got beautiful copy. You know, Michael Finnis, who I mentioned, used to write out incredibly complex pieces that I recorded all of his violin and piano music. And I would find playing some of those pieces off a typeset score a bizarre experience because it just wouldn't look like and feel like Michael's music to me. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, receiving new pieces, it's a weird experience because nowadays you're also receiving them often on email, <laughs> you know, yeah. and like it's become a little bit impersonal nearly. You know, it's nice to meet somebody for a coffee and then say, well, here you are. Here's the score. Or, yeah, and complete take it from with, that. Complete with coffee stains. Or <laughs> yeah. Well, and there are, you know, many composers, unfortunately, then see there are pieces after we've had them for a while and there can be the espresso stain. <laughs> <laughs> in programming pieces of new music unless you've enough time to rehearse them because they're really hard often <laughs> and require a lot of rehearsal and rehearsal means money 
and money thus means if somebody has to go and ask somebody can we have more money and that's where the first breakdown of the whole trajectory stops and so suddenly you're down to this idea of a three-hour rehearsal or a two-hour rehearsal on a new music piece that has maybe taken a composer six to nine months of their life to write that doesn't seem to be good banking of the industry People are often annoyed when you can't program pieces often or more regularly than we do because programming very rarely comes down to just our idea. We might be allowed to submit in the end to any one program, one of four or five pieces, if we're lucky. So programmers themselves, curators, artistic directors, music societies, concert halls, all have their own agendas at work. And so we, have to, we can feed in suggestions into that. But a lot of the time we have a significantly small amount of say over the eventual program. So it's, you know, it's really hard. Do you think that there's more of uh, an interest in that sort of context of Irish composers' works being performed internationally? Like, well, let's say, when you pitch a programme or when you suggest a programme, not pitch, but when you suggest a programme to a festival, whereas before it might have been completely closed down if you had any new piece of new music on it. Is there is there more of a... Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, the, your question kind of brings me back to a memory, which was in Wien Modern. I gave a concert at the Schubertsaal in the Wiener Concert House in, I think it must have been 1999, and it was a solo violin concert. The festival that year, Wien Modern, was called the Fringes of Europe. They picked what they described, I think even the director used the word obscure to me, countries. Obscure to them meant Ireland and Iceland. I played John Buckley's solo violin sonata. I played Gerald Barry's triarchic blues. And in between that, I played lots of trad. And uh, also a piper came and played Roger Doyle's Under Green Time and then some trad um, solo pipe stuff. The concert was such a success. It was sold out twice in the one evening in the Schubertsaal. And there was a real um, electric buzz that night, even though we were seen at that stage as the fringes of Europe. You know, jump forward 20 years and it's the norm to see many names if it's people like Ed Bennett and Clear Younger Generation or you know Kevin Volans, Joel Barry, Ian Wilson, Deirdre Gribbin, Donica uh, Dennehy, Jenny Walsh of course all on the international platform you know I'm really proud of that and also our own part in that because we're lucky to have recorded lots of albums and played you know worked lots of NMC and other companies abroad so we've brought Irish music through that format um, onto an international stage and also for me a, a big passion has been always playing Irish music outside of Ireland. That was a big role of uh, our ambassadorial work if you want to call it that with the trio and with Mary and I as a duo because if we share our music at festivals and at concert series all over the world then they're aware of Ireland and they're aware of our composers and us as artists as well and uh, they, that's a really interesting creative dialogue we're having constantly and people now are just take it for granted that Irish music is really you know high art high craft and there's lots of great composers and performers coming from there and we're no longer 20 years ago the fringes of Europe.
of the other things I, I asked in the prep, so to speak, for this interview was for you to pick three or four works by Irish composers that were that are important to you. So it's kind of like, I suppose, the equivalent of the Irish New Music Desert Island discs. <laughs> Do I get to the Bible and Shakespeare as well? Um, <laughs> no, Heaney, and maybe, or Joyce. <laughs> and uh... That's just the Radio 4 version. Um, <laughs> it's very, very difficult because, of course, I've done so many... I've had both written for me and also I've performed so many piece, solo violin pieces by Irish composers. I've also performed and recorded so many works for violin and electronics. And then, of course, in a duo with Mary DeLay, my wife and pianist. And then, of course, with the trio. And on top of that, solos with orchestra. So there's a huge different kind of catalogue of styles and sizes of um, pieces and styles of music. I suppose one of the pieces that comes to mind, first of all, would be Donica's Elastic Harmonic. The reason Donica asked me to record that was on the back of a trio I commissioned called Bulb. And to quote Donica, that piece has become something of a cult status. And that in no small count goes to the amount of performances we've given of it. I would imagine we've played it nearly a hundred times around the world. But with Elastic Harmonic, it's a really exhilarating piece to play. I've also had the opportunity of playing it you know, on Radio 3 in performance of the Ulster Orchestra and recorded it for NMC. by him for violin electronics called Overstrung, which will be out next year. That was a fantastic session, really enjoyable experience and got it done in record time. And it's just such a fantastic piece. He's a really important um, friend and composer for a long time. And even though we're all doing our own different things now, all those experiences have been very special. Okay, so that's, so that's, the, fir that's, that's the first piece, <laughs> second piece. In no particular order, another piece would be, or another composer would be Gerald. Gerald Barry. Um, I met Gerald before Donica in, I remember meeting him in the back bar in Ennis. I got a message saying, Gerald Barry will meet you from Michael Alcorn at the Irish Association of Irish Composers, IMRO, it was called then, summer school in 1998 or 97 in Ennis. I had this great evening, lovely conversation and we've continued to be friends ever since and we communicate very, very regularly. Very recently, we made an album together, which is coming out in 2020 on Mode Records. And that's got this crazy new version, amongst other pieces, of Triarchic Blues played by Piano Trio. I had this idea where I knew there was the piano version, obviously, for that Gerald had written. And then I knew the violin solo version because I'd recorded it for Black Box. I knew that he had done a version for Uli Heinen, the cellist in BCMG. About seven years ago, we had a concert in New York. I thought, let's put all these three versions together. And I remember him saying, oh, does it work? Does it work? He had never heard it live until we met in the studio in Belfast two summers ago to make this Mode Records album. <laughs> Thank you. 
exciting sound. It kind of sounds like Irish Nan Carol. It's so fast and it's wild and playing the three parts in unison, fortissimo throughout, mega fast, you know, at, at Temple, at Gerald's Temple. And it's a brilliant piece. What is it about that work that he's, he's ended up writing so many different versions of it? Do you know, every note in that is just perfect. And by that I mean, I not only know the piece really well, but I can sing it in my ear. If I had to write it down now, I could annotate it for you. And that's why it's such a good work. Not just a bunch of crazy fast notes with a virtuosic writing. It's really cleverly worked out. <laughs> Does Gerald like the recording process? In recording, he, you know, the, his favourite word is more, more. <laughs> and he wants more. He wants more energy. He wants more wildness, more exuberant enthusiasm. He wants more speed. He wants more loudness, more softness, more extremes. He just wants more. And, you know, that's Gerald in a nutshell, you know, his, musically. It was a sheer pleasure to spend four or five days in a very intense situation recording with a composer of the, that magnitude and you know that's one of those experiences in life one always will remember okay number three. Oh, number three well linda buckley has been a friend of mine since that summer school i mentioned in ennis where i first met gerald probably met linda the next day or the night that evening as well she's a beautiful composer who i just love the sounds that she comes up with and we've just recently made a new recording together she's got an album coming out on, N on nmc next year yeah i recorded this very cool piece she wrote for me i think she wrote exploding stars about nine or ten years ago for violin electronics and i played it again all over the world and uh, we've just recorded it so that's a special piece and i love just the sounds that linda comes up with She's also written a great piano trio that we've played lots, Galura, and uh, it's got an electronics component to it as well in the background, and then a brilliant piece called Volt for violin and piano. We've played loads of Linda's music and always loved it. Is it important to you to sort of have ongoing artistic stroke personal friendships with particular composers? I suppose as you get older, you realise who are the associations who are friends and who are the associations who are composers, just professional associations. And that's absolutely fine. I know many composers who I'm sure wouldn't want to be friends with me, <laughs> but would like to work with me and vice versa. You know, that's the nature of us as human beings. That's of course fine. But the older you get, you realize maybe your group, because it's not tighter or squeezed, but the group of associations of composers that you have particularly longevity with gets maybe smaller but is very both intense and safe even if you have moments of falling out with each other or moments in the discourse where you do disagree it's really important to have that longevity as much as meeting Donica you know if we haven't met for maybe five or six years it's just like picking it up again so Linda is the same you know and it's just very sincere so is there a fourth composer fourth piece 
The fourth piece is the English Irishman or the Irishman who's naturalised here is Pierce Hallowell, who's again a brilliant composer and brilliant mind as well, you know, great music musicianship. Pierce, I think I first met when I was about 16, we played a trio by Pierce called Etruscan Games a number of years ago. It wasn't written for us, but we recorded it um, for Delphian and we took it on tour all over the place. And also I played a brilliant piece, was the last moment, it's called Jan Palak and the Flaming Skier, which is from a violin concerto he wrote. And the Jan Palak movement is about that terrible memory of the skier who left, put himself on fire and flew down the hill in uh, one of the Olympics in Eastern Europe, Winter Olympics, in a very significant kind of like Tiananmen Square moment. that you would have either met or seen who now seem to be just part of history. You know, I remember seeing and talking to Ludislavski when we played in the Guildhall his Partita or, you know, the following year I was in Albra as a student and seeing Takemitsu walking on the beach. Wow. Or I remember meeting, you know, um, Copeland in 1989 in the States. The idea that now, you know, these are part of history rather than, than living or modern composers, you know, and fascinating. Or even Stockhausen, it doesn't feel like so long ago, you know, been standing backstage in the Vede Air in Cologne to go on stage with Music Fabrique and, and uh, Stockhausen walked past and gave us a kind of, it looked like a kind of slightly like a papal blessing. It's amazing to think of these people now are part of music history rather than living music. We don't tend to think about living composers as part of you know, potentially part of history in the future. And I don't think a lot of composers think about that, about their, their place in history. No, they're living at the minute and that's, you know, what's important is to do it now. And although, you know, going back to what I have in these shelves behind me here, you know, I also have hundreds of bits of correspondence with composers and with the music. For me, that's really essential. Already composers I work closely with, like John Tavener, you know, I've got lovely inscription into... Uh, the Hymn of Dawn that I premiered with the Ulster Orchestra by John and uh, talking about what he liked in the piece with me and what he wanted and John's no longer alive and it's very important to hold on to these moments of history as they become as well and inspiring to look back at. so important for us as performers to have with composers and with our own teachers that back catalogue into you know I'll give you an example one of my other teachers Detlef Hahn at the Guildhall Detlef studied with Aldo Ferraresi great Italian virtuoso and also with Zeno Francescati both of them studied with Eugene Isaiah 
course, say so Franck, Debussy Sonata, and there we are right back into Central Europe, just like that, through a couple of clicks of generations. The same with somebody like Paul Zukowski, Zukowski with Cage, Cage to Schoenberg, Schoenberg back to Central Europe, bang. It's very important for me because it gives me a sense of that we're continuing something rather than, oh, just this is our own little input into music, you know? It's more about we're just part of this bigger cell. Kevin Boland's first piano trio performed by the Fidelio Trio, closing that feature on violinist and new music advocate Dara Morgan. And for a list of all the musical excerpts used on this podcast, please check out the show notes for our podcast at cmc.ie forward slash amplify. Among the many accolades afforded to composers from Ireland over the course of 2019, Deirdre Gribben was awarded the Arts Council Northern Ireland's Major Individual Award, along with writer Susan McKay, poet Moira Donaldson and fellow composer and also from Belfast, Neil Martin. The prestigious awards are given in recognition of the contribution each of the artists has made to creative life in Northern Ireland. And Deirdre Gribben will use this award to develop a significant new work. So on the same trip to London last month, I also had a quick catch up with Deirdre about her work. The interview was recorded outside a busy cafe, so there is some background noise. She spoke to me first about receiving this major individual arts award from the Arts Council of Northern Ireland. I'm really delighted that I've received this major um, individual arts award from the Arts Council of Northern Ireland. It's a real sort of, I feel it's a real honour and a real celebration of the work that I've done in the past and the international profile that is being recognised. It's really nice. It will give me the opportunity to buy time. I'm expanding. I've written a song cycle called Kindersang, which was based on the Kindertransport poems of a survivor called Lottie Kremer, which was commissioned by West Cork Chamber Music Festival. And um, I'm going to expand that and theatricalise it and record it so that will be part of it and also I'm writing a new uh, work actually for West Cork's a big celebration year this year for the Doric Quartet and it's called Dark Matter Hunting and it's about dark matter and I'm working with an astrophysicist called Priya Natarjan and it's extraordinary uh, scientific material to look at in terms of um, the, the, the whole idea of dark matters around us and we can't see it and scientists know about it and they're working on it but they ha- can't really work out what it is and uh, it's just f- some a topic that really interests me so so my interest in this the world of science and music um, really stems from I had a, a fellowship at Trinity College Cambridge and there I met lots of really interesting academics who were at the top of their field doing quite extraordinary research I've worked with uh, Sarah Teichman who now uh, she's a major world geneticist who's got this incredible project called the Human Atlas Project, where they're actually mapping each of the human organs. So uh, it's it's the Human Atlas is a kind of cell of of all of the organs. So I'm working with her next year as well on a project to do with 
with that there's going to be a film and I have written with her before wrote a piece called Hearing Your Genes Evolve which was directly related to my son who has a genetic anomaly so I was interested in the whole idea of genetics so that's where that came from uh, the science and and sort of the other worlds let's say are the space really um, Venus Blazing was about the planet Venus but uh, that was more a kind of ephemeral sense of of imagining from an artistic point of view a dark matter hunting is very much looking at the science and that's with a a, a a close friend who's a leading astrophysicist and it's just quite extraordinary to look at um, some of the mathematical uh, material behind things to do with proportion and the whole idea of times 10 times 800 and how far into space they've actually mapped and this is only in our solar system and that's not even beyond so uh, it, there's something about the humbleness of, of writing music within this vast universe as well that I find quite interesting. So, How does a project like that work that when, you know, the, the eventual, I guess, end point for you as a composer is a piece of music and is a performance? How does, how does that sort of shape up in terms of the collaboration that you do with, yeah. the, with your well, astrophysicist friends? I mean, a lot of it is clarifying um, not not what the science means but why choosing that particular research why interpret a lot of the images of dark matter come from reflections due to the kind of lenses that the Hubble telescope has been sending back and I asked Priya that question you know why choose the images you do and, and it's all got to do with the, this particular type of research that she's doing so um, for me, it's very much looking at, at a lot of the material and, and yes, looking at it from a, um, a structural point of view, but also thinking about it as artistic material. And I think that scientists would be the first to admit that they're not great communicators about what their field is, is about and, and what's, what it's doing. And, and hopefully through music, there'll be a sense of, of a greater layman's understanding as well but that's not primarily the reason for writing this piece it's it's purely i'm really interested myself mm. and and hearing very strong music well i hope it's strong music it's very present it's very flowing it's very immediate in my head what what's happening with the structure so it's just another field of inspiration for me to to look into and it just happens to be i'm interested in it <laughs> of your work has has been you know very very project based and 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 very very collaborative um, that, that 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 seems to be a theme you know going going back yeah. over over your work it's, it's obviously something that you you enjoy the kind of yeah. creative stimulation of working with other people not just in music but in other fields a, a lot of the projects that I have endeavored to do over the years have, have not really fitted into boxes that um, a standard 
kind of commission would work for. Um, I suppose a, a good example of that would be I, I worked with um, medical engineers in Canada on a, a sonic wall um, and it was for a hospital waiting space and that really came out of the fact that with my son I've spent a, a number of years going into hospital situations and I'm always interested in what is the environment like in terms of a child who has to be in that environment. And I had a, a Winston Churchill Fellowship and that enabled me to go to Canada and America to look at the best practice in arts to do with disability and inclusive practice. And I happened to go to this hospital and instead of having toys in the waiting room, they have this space which uh, you stand on a floor that interacts, you interact with the visual images and the longer you stay on the floor, the more of the image will be revealed. So that helped um, concentration, it took people's minds off the treatments that they were about to have. A lot of the treatments um, are repeat painful injections. For example, children with cerebral palsy need to have Botox injections regularly to manipulate their muscles and that's very painful. And they did a study showing that pain levels were actually lower when they'd interacted with this device after they'd had their treatment than before when they were, were not interacting. Um, so they asked me to write music for that. So I spent the summer there observing how people used the um, space. And, and then I wrote um, a forest of birds. So there was, uh, so the image, the more you stand, it, it reveals trees and then the different bird song interact. So you can have 12 people on it, more or less creating their own composition. Now, that was an incredibly imaginative opportunity for me to be able to do that. But it's not one that is, would have come through any kind of commissioning channels <laughs> in a conventional sense of the way. But 4,000 children used that device within the first month. So in terms of what a composer in the 21st century may think about in terms of their career, that, that was a very creative way of my work being it somewhere that people could experience. Artists have always had to try and find patronage of some sort. And I would say now, the kind of sense of patronage, maybe it's not a million, I went to the William Blake exhibition at the Tate Britain recently, and he found it really difficult in his lifetime to have recognition. Um, he, he organized his own exhibitions, nobody came. And it was only at the end of his life when he had a patron who allowed him to the, the, the space and the time to do the Dante. Um, responses to the Dante Inferno um, and those incredible images that we've got. So it hasn't really changed in that respect, but I think now composers probably need to realize that that's part of it. If you're going to go into this world, um, there is something about you. If you really believe in your project, you have to seek it out. And it might take three to five years to get it going, which is, you know, not easy. Um, most of us have portfolio careers and that's I teach at Trinity Laban Conservatoire and, and we we really advocate that you know th this is your life it's going to be this and 
I mean, I have a, a slight issue with the viewing of what community music is in terms of commissioning because the work that is written for communities is as good artistically as a piece written for a symphony orchestra, but it's not really viewed like that. And it's a huge part of most composers' um, income strands is, is working with the community. And so it should be, because actually how, how can you expect them to go to your concerts if you don't embrace, interface with a, an audience that um, knows nothing about your work? So that's a responsibility that I think every composer should really have. Yeah, it's always it's always separated out, um, and and by separating it out, it's almost you know giving it some a label lesser that is lesser. Yeah, yeah. But then the the whole sort of ideal moment for any composer is to have space to write, and that's also what this award that we talked about earlier is going to do for me. Um, and I don't often get that, so I'm really really delighted by that. And also, as you, as you mentioned, you know, to have the recognition from, from the Arts Council in Northern Ireland of, of your work and the impact and the con contribution that you, that you made over the last you know, 20 plus years, it must be, it must be, because this is, this is the first award you've, you've received from them. It is, yes, it is. Um, and this morning I was at a, um, the end of a year-long celebration of women's music. Um, Trinity Laban um, made a commitment to, to program 50% women's music. And the knock-on effect of that, we were just looking at, at the effect of that. Um, Venus Unwrapped at King's Place really directly came from that, the title right through. Venus Blazing was the title of my violin concerto, and they asked me if they could adopt that for the festival, which was actually very flattering. Um, we auditioned for new students this week, and 75% of our applicants were women. Um, I'm sure that's a direct effect a direct impact from there are four women teachers in the composition department on staff we had this big festival celebration of women's music so that for me is quite positive to see the, the drip down effect um, I know it's not just contemporary music but it's the idea that that whole idea of diversity then is really coming into it and it was very exciting and to discover so many new women composers as well this year for all of the students I'm just going to put this out here. Maybe women composers are more resourceful because we've had to be. So maybe this idea that creating um, projects that develop over a long time is something that we're used to. And, and maybe it's a skill that in a way was kind of forced <laughs> in a way. And, um, you know, because you develop strategies. I try not to be negative about situations. I try to think, well, this is what it is let's really go with the strength and go with the energy and that's what I do with my projects as well so if, if I find a collaborator who really wants to work with me um, whether that be in the science world or the health world that's what I'll do if it's not your standard orchestral commission or opera that's fine um, because it's a project that I know was, is going to be positive because of that positive energy because you live with that music you have to be enjoying what you're doing
Deirdre Gribben. That's all for this episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast at cmc.ie forward slash amplify. And do please tell us what you think of the episodes by emailing us at amplify at cmc.ie or through our social media channels. Until next time, bye for now.